Hello, everyone. On today's episode, we have Matthew Merrill. Matthew Merrill is a current sophomore in the hotel school and a culinary legend. He has experience in nearly every aspect of the food and beverage field, from appearing on shows like Chop Jr. and Kids Baking Championship, to working as a line cook, to even writing his own cookbook. Matthew has had an incredibly successful career. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Hotelie Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Suero. And I'm your co-host, Dylan Jorgensen. And please welcome our amazing guest, Matthew Mara. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, Matthew. So we'd like to start off our podcast by getting to know you a little bit. What was your journey here to the hotel school and what prompted you to come here? Sure. Yeah. I think I actually have a bit of an unorthodox journey to the hotel school, partially because I really didn't know anything about it um, until pretty late in like the college application process. Um, I don't know. I think it was really amazing to find a school that had so many different, you know, areas of interest. Um, growing up, obviously, like a big passion of mine is cooking, um, and that sort of crafted my path throughout all my childhood, my adolescent years. But then in high school, that sort of took the back burner and I focused on school and sort of my extracurricular activities and sports that I played in high school. And so I, I wasn't sure where that, that, that path of, of cooking was really going to lead me. I didn't know if I wanted to open restaurants or if I wanted to do food media, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, I just thought I'm going to go to college. I'm going to study something along the lines of maybe business, something in humanities. I'm, I love like all of those subjects. But yeah, I, then this little thing called COVID happened and my, our, all of our high school years were sort of shifted um, for it. All of our high school years were shifted and that sort of changed my entire trajectory because that's when I really sort of fell back in love with cooking. And that is, that's when I started creating content on social media and built up a platform there. And what made me really want to pursue something in the food and beverage industry. Um, and yeah, it was, it was pretty late in my college application process that I discovered the hotel school and I discovered everything it has to offer, which I think is, is the biggest, you know, best part of it where you can study, uh, it's one school where you can study finance, real estate, food and beverage operations, or honestly just food and wine pairings as that being a class is so, so unique to this school. And that is what really drove me to finding the hotel school and, you know, being a part of this community. Oh, well, that's amazing. So I guess one of our first questions is, I mean, you, you balance a lot. You have an Instagram of over 100,000 followers. You're, you wrote your own cookbook before. You're, a social, or you're, you're on multiple media channels on TV. How do you balance all that, doing that very successfully, while also balancing your schoolwork and your work-life balance? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think especially this year, I've become increasingly involved in, like, in-school extracurricular activities. So, you know, I'm a part of HEC this year. I'm in an acapella group. Shout out to Last Call. I love it. It's been uh, one of the highlights of my Cordell experience. But balancing the sort of like media presence as well as my like Cordell life, it's it's really been a challenge. And I think it's something that I'm still continuing to learn every day. It's, it's sort of a new step in a different direction. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's, it's all about time management and organization. And I never worked with like a manager or agent, you know. I remember when I first hit like 100,000 followers on TikTok, I was like, oh, maybe this is something to consider. But I think the thing about social media management and agency companies is that oftentimes when it's strictly for a social media account, they can 
sort of reap the benefits of working with an influencer who's generating a lot of brand deals and you know like inc- like receiving a lot of revenue without actually adding a lot to that brand um but you know as i hit sort of like that 2 million follower range on tiktok and above I sort of noticed that it was time to maybe get help with this, especially in a place that's as busy as Cornell, where I there's like two week stretches where I have six prelims, and then I'm also like fermenting cacao pods to make like chocolate from scratch at the same time for like a video concept. It's it's crazy, but it's been really fun, and it's just sort of been about like finding my footing. And I don't know, I don't really have a, a definite answer on how I balance that more than I just take it one day at a time. I you know see I find pockets of time in my day like for example there's Mondays I only have like two classes so there's a like six hour stretch period of my day where I could go home and you know work on video concepts or editing or you know making a, a an actual video and then on Wednesdays in between classes I can edit and yeah it's just stuff like that it's you know finding that path and yeah just taking it one step at a time right that's amazing so I guess my follow-up question to that is do you have someone that's helping you here on campus manage all this or is this all I mean is the creation all you is the posting all you you managing your own accounts yeah it's sort of always been like that um it really for a while was a one-man job and I mean I say that I'm so grateful to my parents because they've been so supportive of this journey but before I turned 18 I actually it was getting pretty legally unclear because I was you know, like contacting brands like Walmart and, you know, Disney, Oreo, all these huge names. And I was like on business calls alone with them. And I wasn't like legally allowed to sign any contracts because I was like under 18. So at that time, my parents signed them. And, you know, my mom sort of stepped in as my sort of liaison between like brands, which was very kind of her. She's like works full time. Um, but yeah, it, I, it really is a solo journey because, you know, I'm the one who's filming, editing, posting, responding to brand deals. But I do work with a management company now who sort of facilitates calls and, you know, um, works with brands to, to come up with some sort of deals and they send me. But that's that's mostly just for, like, sponsored posts. They do help me with, like, sort of strategy, strategic management. But, yeah, it's... It's been a really interesting journey because it's been sort of like solo. So it's been about like five. It's been like, it feels very much like my own journey, which has been very like fulfilling. Yeah. And that's great that you found a balance with like so many things going on. And I kind of wanted to touch back on like the sponsors. Um, So, I mean, you work with notable brands such as Disney, Meta, Oreo, Walmart, even like Snickers. Um, How do you authentically incorporate that into your concept? Yeah, it's so I come from a very um, like fortunate place in the sense that I have like a very niche target demographic that I'm making videos for. So when I have to organically incorporate sponsorships or con- like sponsorships or sponsored products into videos, it's really easy because if it's not food, that it's a bit more of a discussion. But if it's brands like Snickers or like Oreo reaching out, it, it's a very easy incorporation into a standard style of a cooking video. When it's, I, I've worked with brands sort of like Disney where they wanted me to promote a new show on Disney Plus. Um, and that was a bit harder because that doesn't really fit organically in. But, you know, the creative process is one of my favorite things that I, I'm so lucky to get to do as, as my sort of full-time job. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's coming up with ideas. It's recipe testing. It's taking pictures and setting it to brands for approval and feedback and just repeating that over and over again. And also doing something that, 
is is fun and entertaining for me because at the end of the day, that's what really got me to the place that I'm in now is that, you know, this is my passion, you know, creating stuff that that appeals to a larger audience and also meshes in so many different ways and is so, you know, relatable and fun. It's just exactly what I love to do, so. That's amazing. And me personally, I'm a huge fan. I always keep up with all the dorm, oh, dorm room videos. Yeah. And um, me and Matthew actually... Uh, we're both living on the third floor of RBG yes. freshman year. Ooh. And, you know, I'm still a little bit upset that I didn't get any dorm room dorm room cookies or <laughs> <laughs> anything like that. But um, I don't know. What kind of inspires you to do these uh, dorm room, uh, like, content? Like, anything from brownies to lobster? Uh, what has been your most, like, fun dish to make? Yeah, dude, you should have come down. We were, like, three <laughs> doors down. But, um I, I really like this question because I was super nervous coming to Cornell about what the future of my social media platform would be because for about a year at that point, it had been very static, it, almost like formulaic, and I felt like I was almost kind of losing the joy in that. It felt like what had been a passion for me for so long was starting to become something that I almost dreaded or found to be like a chore or just a job. Um, and I was really worried and I was forced at this like sort of crossroads where I couldn't really look back. I knew I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get an education because that's just something that I've always valued in life. But um, it, it was really tough about where the future of this platform was going. And I talked to my parents a lot about it. And they said, what you're going to, we, we had so many, we actually got in so many like arguments about like what I was going to do. Like, was I going to fly home for a weekend and film like 18 videos and like release them throughout the semester? And I, we just decided like, that is just, this is a, I want to have like a very normal college experience like that. That seems almost just unnecessary. Uh, so they were like, my parents have always made sure that like my school life, my academic life. And I mean, I don't say social life in the sense of like, I mean more of just, you know, being pursuing what I'm passionate about outside of a, like, TikTok career, like, the, the stigma that comes with the word influencer, but they've always prioritized, like, for lack of a better term, real life over anything in that, like, sort of media sector, because so much of it is just semantics and craziness, um, and my mom just said to me, listen, you're gonna have to just make it work and just adapt to whatever setting you're in, and I thought, let's just try a dorm room cooking video. I feel like I, I haven't really seen anything like a gourmet food video. In a, I've seen dorm food cooking hacks or people at home showing kids what to make at home, but I've never seen someone in a dorm room actually make something that was gourmet or that was, you know, really high quality. And I think my idea behind that was I'm a big proponent of like food accessibility and just the sort of relatability of food and cooking and how necessary it is for everyone at every stage of life. I mean, I started when I was really young because it was something that I was curious and passionate about. And I think that like kids should have something like that. And for me, it just was an easy way to combine all of those things. And I started off simple. I started off with brownies, cookies. Um, and I remember, I think the thing that really changed the game for me last year was making a turkey in a dorm. That was actually disgusting. I, I really, like, shocked that that turned out the way it did, and I didn't, like, have any salmonella complaints after from, our, from the taste testers from that. But, yeah, basically I prepared an entire, like, full turkey in my dorm the weekend before Thanksgiving break, or, like, that, the weekend of Thanksgiving break, um, and it was a massive success on social media. And I think for me, I was really worried about 
how people were going to respond to this new change in my life, but I found that the people who were sort of, like, strong supporters of me and my, like, you know, people that supported me loved this, like, change and adaptation and being able to sort of keep up with me. And it also attracted a new audience of college students who could relate or find it funny or find it interesting or take some sort of inspiration from that. And I think that that was a really um, impactful outreach because I, I was very inspired by, you know, so many college students telling me that this, like, opened up a new door for them into cooking because they just never thought it was possible to make anything in their dorm and people would send me pictures of stuff they had made and yeah it was a really cool time and I think the culmination of that um was the the pop-up restaurant in a dorm that was um actually the most insane thing I've ever done in my life I think basically I two friends who lived in a quad in Donlin. And for those of you listening who aren't familiar with Mary Donlin Hall, it is a notorious dorm um, at Cornell and perhaps not for the best reasons. Um, it's a little bit old, a little bit run down, uh, a little bit smelly. Um, and we just thought, at first I was gonna do a pop-up restaurant in my dorm because I felt like this was gonna be the final culmination. I knew at this point I wasn't gonna be living in the dorms next year. This would be the perfect culmination and sort of like capstone to this in a dorm room cooking series that I had done. And I don't know why, I just felt like I had to do it. And I had to do it somewhere that would be shocking and I needed a big enough space. So my friends were lucky enough to allow me to use their sort of like common room in their quad. And it's so hard to like recount this experience because it was literally so spur of the moment. And the fact that we pulled it off is still shocking to me, but basically it was the week before exams and I was talking to my friends and they were like, if we don't do this right now, it's never going to happen. And we made a doc. We made a list of everything we needed to do. The first thing I did was make a menu and print it out at UPS on cardstock paper so it looked really nice. I used my business computing formula, so that's, or like template. Um, it's a little hotel-y connection there. Um, and we used like skills that we learned in like food service management class and like accounting also too to make like budgets and stuff. And it honestly was a really cool experience that blended together what we had learned in that academic year as well as like what we're all passionate about in like food and beverage operations. And we, you know, we went to Wegmans and we like literally spent, so, it, I, I was scared at the about, I was like, we really need to break even because like we're gonna have to charge a really expensive like prefix price to this. Um, and then we went to Target and bought like tablecloths and we bought like, we just made it work. And that was the coolest part was like how well it all worked out together. We just like made it work. And it was like eight courses and we served like lobster tail, four cheese risotto. And it was the, the best part for me was like the sort of theme of the dinner, which was like a subversive take on college dining. So every dish was either like a, a classic college dish, like pizza rolls, but made into an upscale, like fine dining dish or a classic like fine dining dish that was like scaled back. So we did like microwave dinner, but it was actually like lobster tail with like four cheese risotto and like endive salad. Like it was just, it was a great experience. It was super fun. We had like seniors coming back to Donlin for like an $100 dinner. And yeah, it was such a, a fun experience and we did not get in any trouble, which was shocking because we, we might've, I think we exceeded the capacity of like how many people could be in a room. There was, there was a few technicalities out there. Maybe, yes, off the yeah. record. <laughs> yeah, so um, it seems like the opportunities are like, 
endless in a dorm room with Matthew Merrill. So please <laughs> tell me what's next up on the chopping block uh, for dorm room content. Yeah, so it's definitely also been an adjustment this year. Honestly, not dissimilar from what I was experiencing last year because I'm in an apartment this year. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of about like for me right now, I'm sort of actually in the brainstorming process of like what I'm going to do for the rest of the semester, for the rest of the school year. But it's just taking that like almost shock factor of be what you're able to create in college, sort of like gourmet dishes and over-the-top eccentric ideas for recipes and adjusting that to the college lifestyle. So I, I was in class one day and it was, we had like a five minute break and I was sort of just like on my computer, you know, like scrolling around and I was like, what would be a crazy thing to make? Like what would just be something that I would find, take a lot of pleasure in that I think would be really appealing and just crazy. And I, I got this idea to like make chocolate from like bean to bar, like cacao pod to bar. And just like randomly in class one day, I bought like a giant box of cacao pods from Ecuador and just like shipped it to my college apartment. And I thought that it was just this, like this crazy over the top idea that would be so fun. I never made chocolate from scratch and also so like fun to watch at the same time. And so, yeah, I haven't, I've yet to edit that. That should be, or I don't know when the, this will be released, but hopefully the video will be out by then. But yeah, just moving forward, doing, doing stuff that inspires me to keep creating and keep, you know, keep me on my toes and yeah, stuff like that. I mean, that's the story of an entrepreneur. I mean, uh, personally myself, I'm the biggest entrepreneur. I love it. I've, I've not much to show yet, but hopefully one day to have something real. Um, so I guess I can recall a few conversations that between you and I are talking about entrepreneurship. I mean, you've always talked about, you know, I mean, you've, you've demonstrated it. You had an idea for a pop-up. You have this idea for content. I mean, pretty much creating this content is being your entrepreneur in, in some way. So, I mean, entrepreneurship is a struggle that comes with many ups and downs. Do you see entrepreneurship aligning with your future goals? Oh, I, I mean, I feel like entrepreneurship has been what's driven my path throughout my entire life. I mean, when I was younger, I competed on like cooking shows because I wanted to, to show, like put myself out there in that way. And like, it was sort of, I mean, it's been an entrepreneurial spirit that's like driven me throughout the entirety of my, my career from like day one on like kids baking championship to where I am like today in the hotel school and like what I want to do with my personal brand or like in my, you know, involvements in, in the school. Um, and I, yeah, it, it's things like I decided to publish a cookbook my senior year of high school because that has always been a dream of mine. And it's for me, entrepreneurship like what it means to me, like what entrepreneurship means to me is ha having a passion and like going for it no matter what people think or say and I think um yeah I, I didn't think it would be possible to to write a cookbook before I graduated high school but that's something that I wanted to do and I I went for it and I'm so blessed to say that it, it came out to be a, a success and you know it's just deciding one day to to record a video of yourself and the start it's it's always about the start you know like it's so scary at first to like put yourself out there but that's really what it takes i think to be an entrepreneur and to like make a name for yourself i mean i remember i started posting on tiktok i wasn't really embarrassed at the time because tiktok is like a goofy place people post all sorts of things there and i think in the grand scheme of things someone making like pineapple upside down cake isn't that jarring but it was especially like when I first started posting on Instagram, which by the way was just like 
my TikTok videos posted as videos on Instagram, I was terrified because it was all like people from my high school that were my followers on Instagram at the time. Like I hadn't built my platform there yet. And it totally freaked me out because I was like, oh my God, what are people going to think of me? What are people going to say? But this was something that I created that I was proud of that I, I knew was, was a good product. And I, I knew it was fun, entertaining, and relevant, and I just decided to post it one day, and it, it was really scary, but, I mean, that video got, like, 100,000 views, which I was, like, so happy for, um, and, yeah, it's just, it's just making something your own and, like, driving your own passions through and through. Oh, that's amazing. So, I guess, with, with success comes, you know, this idea of people are going to make assumptions about you, they're going to say certain things about you, and there is this side of, you know, hatred or, you know, not liking someone on, oh, on yeah. social media. How do you deal with things like that? <laughs> it's funny you ask that because I think I have generally like a larger than life personality on social media and people sort of like conflate that for how I would be as a person. This, this is a really interesting question, especially in regards to like Cornell and my experience here because the first like three months that I went to this school, like people just call me chef. Like I don't think they knew my name. Like people would just see me go, oh, like chef, like what's up? And it's it's weird because like I mean I sort of like in I worked back of house at a restaurant. Like it's weird being called chef when you haven't really like earned that title. I don't know. It's like a it's a whole technicality and stuff. But it just like felt kind of weird. And also like I mean I get hate comments every day on social media. Like I caused a controversy because I said I hate like these grocery store sugar cookies and like showed people how to make them at home. Like it's you know. <laughs> You never know what's going to happen on the internet. But I think for me, I'm lucky because I've sort of been dealing dealing with this again since I've been like 10 years old. I I remember reading an IMDB review for Kids Making Championship. And the first thing that came up, I say this as I'm like a little congested now, but the review was like, that kid Matthew always sounds so congested like on TV. Like he's so annoying. Like... I can't believe, like, his parents approve of, like, this lifestyle. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it, was, it was, like, a crazy concept that someone who, like, didn't know me at all would, felt, like, comfortable saying that online. But I think, like, you just have to reframe the way you view it. I think, like, this is also very cliche to say, but if you're at the point where you're getting hate comments, it means that your videos are being pushed so wide stream or, like, your content is being pushed so wide stream that people who you don't know are seeing it. And that's sort of beautiful in a way. I mean... It's a really, I mean, I'm a people pleaser and it's really scary to confront the idea that you actually can't please everyone and people just aren't going to like what you do who don't know you for the sole reason of they just don't. And not being able to do anything and that being out of your control is actually kind of like refreshing because it's the way that I view is, is sort of like, I, I it's it's hard to say, but it's it's just sort of, you got to focus on how many people are supporting you and you reframe your mindset to that. And yeah, I don't know. I don't really also have like a great way of explaining how to deal with it because it's, it's something that changes every day. And like, you you just never know what people are going to say. And you just have to be grateful that you're making content at all. And yeah. Yeah. So, um, kind of talking about how everyone was calling you chef and you're like, Oh, I, I didn't really, I worked like back at house before that. This summer, you recently worked as, like, a line cook, right? Yeah. Isn't that right? Um, so I kind of want to ask, like, how was being a line cook different than um, kind of just, like, the more, like, televised, like, media 
uh, way of F&B and I don't know, maybe give me some stories about your line cook experience. Yeah. So I also really like this question because literally these past two weeks I've been like reflecting on that because sometimes I, I sort of glaze over my childhood memories on cooking shows because it's just such a like odd experience. It's kind of hard to describe unless you've like sort of done it before. But I think so when I started working back of house, I, I've noticed that like my experience of the culinary industry, I feel like I have a lot of like fundamentals really locked down, but there's definitely like holes in that where of like there's certain techniques that I'm not necessarily the most confident on or certain cuts that I'm not able to make or, you know, certain like butchering, you know, processes that I don't really have a good grasp of. But basically um, when I was, I'm trying to think, when I was on kids baking championship, we were forced to sort of use materials that you would only find in industrial kitchens, like hotel pans, like six pans. So coming to the hotel school and like, or working back of house, like in culinary class or like on the line, I knew like all of that stuff to a T, but then there's like certain things like, I mean, like cleaning up your station, like thank God I didn't have to do that when I was 10 because I would make a mess or just like expectations of the kitchen that aren't quite the same, but like the materials that are used on those shows are are really similar to like industrial cooking materials and also like working on a time limit, working under pressure, like all of those things are very easily translatable to, to you know, working in a kitchen. And I think that when I first came to Cornell, like certain people question, you know, like the validity of my skills, like having just been on cooking shows and like not maybe having as much experience working like back of house on the line. Um, but I think that I was able to prove myself because of those like, sort of random fundamental skills that I like really had a crazy good grasp on when I was really little. Right. I mean, so you've, you've appeared on Chop Junior Kids Baking Championship, and personally my favorite growing up was the Guy's Grocery Games. Oh, yeah. Love those. And so, I mean, you, you've seen things, been on media, been on television. These are things that most people never even have the chance to do. Yeah. Now, aside from cooking and the F&B side, how do you think this experience in media has shaped you as a person and on a personal level? Yeah, I think for me, it's, I think it's a lot of, there's an expectation, I think, that people sort of might think, not having met me, that I'd be, like, egotistical about that stuff. But, I mean, I think for me, it's just something that I look back on as being really grateful for. I think everybody who does those shows have, have very different experiences, and I'm lucky to have, you know, had a great experience on all of them, um, for the most part. Um, but I think that it's it's made me a lot more of a, like, careful person and like, you know, just thinking about what I'm doing as I'm doing it or just being mindful about how like my words are like have impacts because, you know, if you say something on national TV that they want to frame a certain way, like that's going to be broadcasted to like hundreds of thousands of people. And I think it's also just, you know, made me the person I am today as a entrepreneur and as a person with passion and it sort of made me believe that like anything is possible because that is something that I just wanted to do so badly as a kid and I made it like happen for myself and that was like very very inspiring to me and so I think I look at the world as anyone's oyster I think that I truly believe that there's like nothing that is out of the range of possibilities in terms of like building a brand or building, you know, your name or building what you're doing to be where it is. Because when I was 10 years old, I got myself onto Food Network. I mean, I was really cute. Like I had charm and I was like decent at baking, but um, I don't know. Like there wasn't anything that had really separated me from anyone else at the time other than my pure like 
love and passion for what I did and my determination to do what I wanted to do. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. Our, our time is coming to kind of an end now. You're a very per impressive person, and I'm sure a lot of pe people at the hotel school want to try to do things similar to you. Oh, you're too kind. <laughs> well, so just to finish up here, the question that we like to ask everyone, uh, through your career in F&B, you've learned many lessons. What's one lesson that you learned that you wish you knew earlier that you could provide f to the current audience? Yeah, I think I'm going to say a phrase that's really cheesy. Um, also, because this is like, I'm sure that many older people have much wiser answers, but I want to say something that's definitely appealed to me in the past like two years. Um, my advice would be to actually consider what it means to like march to the beat of your own drum and not compare yourself to others because there you're going to be told not to compare yourself to others like probably thousands of times in your life and you're not really going to know what that means until you feel like othered or different than people for following your passions and I think it's about taking time and considering that just because you're not doing what everyone else is doing doesn't mean that it's bad. It actually, I would go to say, means the opposite and means that you're on your own journey. And I would really think about just making your dreams come to life because it's absolutely possible. And I mean, I think I'd like to think that I'm an example of like, you can, the world is your oyster, you know? You're on your own journey. Don't compare yourself to others. Like, you just, like, cannot do that and find the greatest success that you can. It will increase your capacity for success to really just understand what path you're on. Not to say that other people's experiences aren't helpful or important, but just to understand that you are on your own journey and you can't fit into any cookie-cutter model of success because it doesn't exist. Amazing. Well, thank you very much. Genuinely... Incredible. Thank you guys so much. This was so fun. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been another episode of the Hotelly Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you.